0: joining me for quite an excellent episode of number 56. I'm eager to get into the analysis of my students, who are clearly getting their hands and their minds around how exactly we explore poetry as its own genre. While all of my students explored the ideas of the last poem, some considered the line and stanza structure in their analysis as well, which, honestly, thinking about how lines create meaning is one of my favorite things a student can do. It really demands thinking of poetry as its own special corner of the written and spoken world, and I love when students respect the particulars of poetry in this way. We also have a new poem, How to Triumph Like a Girl, by Ada Limon. Limon is herself a triumph among modern poets, and I have to honestly work hard not to come back to her poetry for each episode. This one comes from her collection Bright Dead Things, published in 2015. Before we can dive into Ada Limon, we need to return to the previous class poem, Allowables. As expected, students had a lot of great stuff to say, and I'm excited to share all of it. But we need the poem fresh in mind, so we need to hear it again. Here's the poem. Allowables by nicky giovanni i killed a spider not a murderous brown recluse nor even a black widow and if truth were told this was only a small sort of papery spider who should have run when i picked up the book but she didn't and she scared me and i smashed her i don't think i'm allowed to kill something because i am afraid One of the first things that my students grasped about this poem was the tone. Students described it as guilt, remorse, feeling sorry, things like that. And this is an apt description. A student says that it sounds like she's sad, scared, and feels bad because she killed the spider. Well, there are people that would do the exact same thing and have no emotion and move on. And in replying to another student, a couple said that when Giovanni states, oh, they're allowed to kill something, <clears throat> she uses the word allowed as if she's done something very wrong, or it's against morality, with another reply noting that this was only a small sort of papery spider, and it makes you feel more guilt because a small, simple spider frightened you. And this observation, the specific visual and kind of tactile imagery of the spider was important to a number of students. Another noted that the spider is described as papery, meaning that it could have been thin and fragile. Another points to the same lines, suggesting the speaker is making the audience think that the spider is weak or vulnerable. But then the poet does something that's interesting, and a student observes that the speaker starts to blame the spider, who should have run but then realizes in the end that it was actually her fault. And this, this kind of blame shifting and this feeling of fault, I think, is important in understanding the poem. A student writes that when you do something without thinking, it can cause regret. The only real way to get rid of that regret is to take responsibility for your actions. With another making a more personal connection, noting that in many cases we barely stop to think about the lives of these creatures, even if they don't do anything to us. In retrospect, says the student, I realize I've also done this, and I feel it as a crime. And it's in this relationship between what we've done, what we can do, and what the spider is even capable of being so thin and weak and fragile and vulnerable that the poem's larger analogy shows up, the metaphor of how we should understand these elements of the narrative. A student writes that the poem takes a sensitive and dark theme, and turns it into something that the reader can relate to. Much of society fears spiders, even if they do not have any good reason to. And many deaths, similarly, occur, because of ignorance or fear. With another making this a little more explicit, saying that the poem uses humans and spiders as symbols for people with and without power, respectively and how those in positions of power are responsible for understanding those below them before making decisions. The student says the poem states that I killed a spider, not a murderous brown recluse, at the beginning of this poem as a way of comparing the spider to a murderous person, proving that the way that a person looks doesn't define their actions. We understand a murderous brown recluse to be a particular kind of spider. the A murderous kind of spider. But of course, spiders don't murder. Maybe they injure. Maybe they even result in death. But murdering is a distinctly human definition of killing. And that connection to how humans behave and kill is recognized in a number of students' responses. One notes that some civilizations killed others because they were different. And in the 60s, 80s, and 90s, There was a lot of police brutality against black people, sometimes resulting in deaths. Even those people weren't doing anything to cause harm. Another student makes the connection that I suggested has been made about this poem with the relationship to Black Lives Matter. In fact, a couple students did. One says that it is a reference to police brutality and how law enforcement will act hastily out of fear. Another says the author is referring to black lives, in this case, the spider, that has been lost to police violence. A message to all readers that individuals should be responsible, and not let fear justify killing. As we move into this kind of more abstracted, more distance understanding of the poem, we're now starting to get into the big ideas, the meaning of the text, the the themes that are being explored and used to create meaning. A student says that the author is also talking about what is and isn't allowable. In the poem, Giovanni thinks killing something harmless out of fright isn't. Very laughable. with another noting that just because you are frightened, killing or harming is not what you should do. And indirectly, the poet tells the reader, that they should be responsible and careful and mature in what we do. A student writes that this poem is about the fact that no matter how small others are, they are just as important as you because all life is equal with another adding on to say that the author attempts to convey the message that fear can make us take actions that are unjust and cruel. And I really like the use of the word us there, because the poem really does put us in the perspective of someone who has killed a spider. And it uses particular choices of language, which a student recognizes. And I love this close analysis of individual word choices. The student says that that the audience portrays the feeling of violence in I killed a spider and I smashed her, using killed and smashed to give us that aggressive, violent feeling. Again, this is killed, right? We think of killing as in terms of murder, as we thought before, as you recognized with that brown recluse. And in a response to another student, and in reply to another student, we have a comment that... The speaker only realized she was wrong after she killed the spider. But in the moment, it seemed like a reasonable thing to do. And this seems to get at a problem of impulse when we don't think critically and closely about our actions and we rely on just emotional, immediate responses that we can act in ways that are destructive. Now, one of my favorite things, as I mentioned before, that students can analyze is structure, or choices that are maybe less obvious, where elements of punctuation, or spelling, or structure, or line lengths, or breaks, or any of that kind of stuff, how it contributes to the ideas the poem is expressing. We've already talked about those ideas, so let's talk about some of the structural observations that students made. One writes that the way that she splits up the stanzas makes you think that she feels sorry and responsible for the death of the spider. We have, I don't think, new line, I am allowed. The student writes that the pause between these lines creates a feeling of sadness and remorse. They don't fully explore this idea, but I think it's related to a couple other commentaries about the structure. A student, I think, refers to the lines that have the and twice. In particular, lines that say, and she scared me, and I smashed her. The student says that two similar words starting in line one after the other, and then there's a stanza break in between, creates a kind of repetition that it enforces how she knew her mistake was wrong. And another student suggests that the beginning of this poem, which I think is interesting, with just, I killed a spider suggest a kind of privilege, and maybe even a kind of indifference. In this sentence, the spider is minuscule. It's kind of disregarded, according to the student. And I get that. In the first line, it isn't the spider. It's a spider. Any number of spiders. There's no significance to this one. Why should it matter? And starting with that feeling of dismissal, I think, is really interesting. Another student pointed to how the poem is broken into so much smaller chunks than maybe some of the other poems that we have interacted with, either in this class or outside of this class. In particular, the lines that say, who should have run when I picked up the book, but she didn't, and she scared me, and I smashed her. The student says that I love that the actions change in the next line, each action is in a new line, making each action feel simple and clear, and I agree. They are simple and clear, but I think it also makes us feel kind of mechanical. Each action is its own line. Run, picked up, she didn't, she scared me, I smashed her. It's almost as though it was a sequence of events that maybe couldn't have been avoided, but maybe is actually slowed down here in such a way that we kind of hope that it would be avoided. Another student writes about the very last stanza, which is just a single word in a single line. The student writes that I like it when frightening, or frightened, is the last word. And it makes the central idea of the whole poem. And it does. I wish the student would have expanded on what they think ending the last stanza with a single line that is a single word that is frightened does. Because it's very clearly one of the theme topics at the center of this poem. But what do we do with that? How does it create meaning? Why do we leave here? I'm not sure, and I really do wish a student had explored this a little bit more because it's a great observation. Another really interesting observation that unfortunately isn't a little more explored is that a student notes that there is no punctuation in here. Nothing. Now the student does suggest that this may be portraying regret, but I'm not sure how it does that. I kind of believe the premise. Like, I think that's an interesting claim, and I think there is maybe something there. But without the explanation, it's hard to make sense of it, to know where this student would have gone with that idea. But it is an interesting observation. Now, poems do not need to have punctuation. They can. And when they do, it's usually grammatical. But the choice to use punctuation in a less grammatical way, or to not use punctuation at all, can be telling. And I like that the student is paying attention to it. Now, a few students made connections between how the spider is representative of people, often those who have less power or are more vulnerable. The way that Giovanni humanizes the spider in this way is impressive. And one way that she does this is exceptionally subtle that I really liked. And that's pronoun selection. Never does the poem identify the spider as an it Instead, by using the pronoun she, Giovanni's speaker recognizes the spider as feminine and, as a result, more a woman than a bug. It is a little detail, but by finding big and small ways to link the innocence of the spider to the victimization of vulnerable people, the easier we can see other elements, such as the victim blaming of noting that the spider should have run, for example, as a commentary about our own lives and our own choices when we hurt others who do not deserve it. Now Our next poem is How to Triumph Like a Girl, and it too uses a non-human creature to help us think about ourselves and the people around us. There are lines in here that I just adore. They make me smile or even chuckle to myself. I also think it is interesting how the speaker of the poem is so conversational. She speaks to us, the audience, but also to the horses themselves. I'm not sure what to think of the informal, chatty nature of the speaker, honestly. I love it anyway. I'm also glad it gives us the opportunity to use the most important phrase in poetry analysis as our secret passphrase, the speaker. Whenever a poem appears to come from a character, we identify this character as the speaker. This is essential because students often want to refer to this individual as the poet themselves, And while it is possible that Ada Limon is the speaker of this poem, we can never be entirely sure without doing some research on them, their values, their history, and their personal perspectives. For this reason, it is an error to refer to the main voice of the poem as that of the poet. Instead, we talk about the speaker of the poem. Students, you have to use this phrase in your response. You can still talk about the choices Limon makes in the writing But if you're talking about the first-person perspective inside the poem, this individual should be addressed as the speaker. So that covers the secret passphrase. What about the writing task? For that, I want you to choose your quotations carefully. Remember, we only want to use the shortest, most specific quotations. For this reason, I want all of your quotations to be five words or fewer in length. You can even quote single words. No matter what you quote, make sure you explain what those quotations mean, how we should understand them, and what they contribute to your claim. And be sure you use at least two in your response. Here's this week's poem, read by my nine-year-old daughter, Elena. How to Triumph Like a Girl by Ada Lima I like the lady horses best, how they make it all look easy. Like running 40 miles per hour is as fun as taking a nap or grass. I like their lady horse swagger after winning. Ears up, girls, ears up. But mainly, let's be honest, I like that they're ladies. As if this big, dangerous animal is also a part of me. That somewhere inside the delicate skin of my body, there pumps an 8-pound female horse heart, giant with power, heavy with blood. Don't you want to believe it? Don't you want to lift my shirt and see the huge beating genius machine? That thinks, no, it knows it's going to come in first. Students, be sure to use the secret passphrase, the speaker, and keep all your quotations to five words in length or shorter. Starting this week, you also need to use your quotations accurately to earn a point in the rubric. This means quoting the title, in quotation marks, using slashes for line and stanza breaks, and not changing the original quotation, unless you know how to use brackets to do this. This includes punctuation, by the way. If the original poem capitalizes a word, keep it capitalized. You should also keep in mind our previous writing tasks, such as using the poet's last name by itself, once you've used the full name. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions or would like the class to direct their eyes toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment at leightenteaches.com or on Twitter. I am at Teaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 56 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent.